Well, thank you for coming out today. I am uh, continuing with the series that Pastor David started last week on the art of waiting. And then the following week, next week, Terry Kirkendall, that you've just met, uh, if the men were available at the men's meeting, will conclude this series, and Pastor David will uh, give us a a brand new message uh, starting the following week. The art of waiting is is something that I, I, I think that is the most difficult for us as Christians to understand. And that essence of waiting is so significant to our walk in this kingdom. And it continues through the entire continuum of our spiritual life. So we must understand the process, the things that God wants to teach us in that period of wait so that we are excellent or we do our waiting well so that we can apprehend those things. The waiting, the art of waiting, is is not something that can be uh, taught. It's something that needs to be absorbed. It's something that as you grow through, you understand the principles that God is building within you so you can take it to be successful on the other side. And I know that none of us want to be in this waiting period for any long. We're tired of the COVID um, isolation. We are tired of of the inactivity. We are tired and want to just continue on. But in the wait, the art of waiting is a process that God builds within us things to accomplish successfully on the other side. And so I want to look at one of those aspects within the art of waiting. It's not when the prayer is made. It's not necessarily when the scripture is given and you're you're excited about what God is doing. It's not when you apprehend and walk on the other side. It's that middle part, which is always the most difficult for us to stand and wait. The art of waiting. I want to give you a quote that I read. Uh, Waiting is not just something we do while we wait. Waiting is the process of becoming what God wants us to be. And I pray today that the Spirit of God will open your ears to hear so that you can receive for yourself uniquely and then collectively as this body an understanding of the principles of God of what he does and what he accomplishes in us as we wait, because that can make the waiting endurable when we have to stand for a period of time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 But those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. We're going to be talking today about the art of waiting, receiving the strength to stand. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I've been perplexed by this scripture for many years. Because as I would reflect on my own experiences... And those seasons of waiting have been long and hard. They've been almost an endurance just to get to the other side. And so when Isaiah says that those that wait on the Lord, there's a strength to be given to be imparted unto you. I I tried to dig in to understand what is that strength because I never saw myself in the midst of the ordeal of the wait to be able to be exiting on that other side, leaping and shouting and and all those good things running around. I was exhausted from the wait. 
But that's not what God wants. And we need to retrain our thinking to think like he thinks and to embrace this momentary season in our life to receive that strength to stand so that we, when we exit out, we will walk and not be weary. We will run and not faint. Amen? Waiting on God, there are several seasons when God calls us to wait. And it seems like he stops all activity and all we can do is wait. And sadly, waiting is really a lost art in the kingdom of God. It really is a Christian art that we need to learn. It's not something that can be osmosis. It's not something that you could can observe and copy. It is something that God purposes for each of our lives to learn how to wait successfully. And we need to learn how to wait, and we need to learn to understand in every aspect of the waiting period that we're in what God is doing and have ears to understand so we can walk out successfully. They that they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Isaiah chapter 49. And so waiting, I just want to remind you that waiting isn't an inactivity. It's really a powerful action that we do. I think sometimes in our mind, because of the hardness of that momentary season, we think in terms of waiting as just sitting back in a rocking chair, sipping our tea, our Kool-Aid, our drink of choice, and we're just going to wait until this season bypasses us. But that is not the heart of God. In this season, he is doing something unique and deep within us to be able so that we might be successful when we come out on the other side. He's building a strength, a perseverance, an anointing that we can use for ourselves and for others if we get the right perspective of what God is doing. I understand when you're in that waiting period, waiting for God to deliver you from your season of hardness, waiting for the promise to be manifested, you go to bed at night expecting tomorrow's the day. And then you wake up and you say, tomorrow, today's the day. And yet another day goes by and another day goes by and another day goes by. And throughout those many days can be exhausting. But I want to look at several individuals in the Word of God that knew how to wait well. And that's what God wants for you and I, to have an understanding of how to wait well and how to understand the art of waiting and understand that purpose of waiting, what he does in that middle portion, the prayer, the middle portion, receiving. So we're going to be looking deeper into individuals. The first one I want to look at is Elijah, the prophet Elijah. And I believe Elijah is one of those individuals that knew how to wait well. He didn't have necessarily an easy life as we're going to continue on, nor the few others that we're going to look at in the Word of God. But we can see the lessons that they learned and apply them to our lives because they reflect what God is doing when we're in the wait. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before I stand, 
just want to pause. Elijah had the disposition, the mental assurance that he was to proclaim to Ahab, the Lord God of Israel lives, and I will stand until he speaks. And he proclaims there shall be no dew, no rain these years except at my word. There had to have been a fortitude, a gumption in Elijah that he could proclaim to the the king Ahab and say, I'm going to stand before God. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be persuaded to speak ill-advisedly or preemptively. I'm going to stand and wait. And when he says, rain will be released. Now, I don't know if Elijah recognized or had that understanding that it would be many years before God would give him the next statement to say and rain would come. And oftentimes, we don't know the course of events that we have to walk through until God gives us the next instruction. And many times, people have come to me and said, I'm not hearing anything from God, what's happening? And I have to say to them, what was the last thing that God said for you to do? Because when you perfect that, when you are successful in that, when you stand on that, then the next instruction command of God will come. So Elijah is standing and purposing to stand until he God speaks again. And then it says in verse 1, God tells Elijah, I want you to go hide by the brook Cherith, and ravens will bring you bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. Now, if you're thinking that Elijah at this point was expecting a coffee and croissants, we're sadly mistaken because it was the ravens that God commanded to feed Elijah. And ravens are scavengers and they feed upon the deceased, diseased and decayed animals. They scavenge in dump sites for their food. And this was what God was providing for Elijah while he stood and he waited. He was in the dumpster of the Lord, waiting. Morning, night, morning, night. Crusty old bread, decayed meat was dropped at his feet. And Elijah survived, waiting on the Lord. He was waiting by the place of the brook Cherith. And Cherith actually means, in Hebrew, the place of development. And God takes us to those places of development. And don't always think that the places where you're successful, the places of peace and ease, are really the places of divine appointment by God. Because sometimes he takes us to those places that are hard, we have to endure, And those are the places divinely appointed by God because he's doing something deep within us. It's not always about the destination. God is interested in the journey because it's in the journey we obtain things to impart when we reach the destination. And so we have to learn to journey well. And so Elijah is at this place called Cherith, the place of development. And this is the place again where morning, evening, morning, evening, where it goes on day after day, perhaps week or years, until you receive the the next statement, 
where God is building us to have that under under uh, that underground flow of the presence of God where we dig into God because there is no other option there's no other relief so we dig deep and build that well within us this is the place of development where Elijah must pass pass to stand faithfully to the word from God that was given. And you and I will go through our periods of Cherith as well. Terry Kirkendall, who'll be speaking next week, uh, gave me this script or this uh, adage. We live by the adage, don't just stand there, do something. God says to us, don't just do something, stand there. We want, a, we want a faster internet. We want our kids to grow up well and fast. And then we look back. Don't just stand there. Do something. But God says, don't just do something. Stand there. The art of waiting. The art of waiting well. Amen. We need to wait for the next move. And most of us, or I'm, if I'm the only one, I'll accept it. I want to push through our next season without waiting for the instructions of the Lord. And we need to understand the process of standing to perceive what God is doing in this season. Um, otherwise, we'll be looking for more ravens to feed us. So Elijah had to stand and wait, but there came a moment of time where the ravens stopped dropping food and the water had all dried up. It was, it was famine and, and drought for him. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't indicate whether that was one hour, one day, ten days, two months, where he had to stand and wait because he needed the instructions of God. If he had waited well, God was going to release the next word of his uh, destination. And sometimes... We want to learn this place by the echoes of others. Instead, God wants to give us our own voice. You are not an echo, and we can't live off of the echoes and the instructions of others in that period of waiting. You've got to hear the instructions of God for yourself and build that deep well, even though it's enduring hardness. And Paul tells us to endure hardness like a good soldier. Waiting reveals treasures from God. There are things in this waiting period that only God can reveal to you. There are areas that he might, might, might want to bring up from your heart so that you deal with them, that you acknowledge them, that you get rid of them, or that you strengthen yourself in them. Because he knows something on the other side of your wait that we have been clueless for. Isaiah says, from, since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither has the eye seen, O God, besides thee, what God has prepared for him that waits on him. 
There are things on the other side of our waiting that if we truly had eyes to see and ears to hear, we would endure this waiting with great joy. We would take every opportunity to learn the gifts and the things that God is doing unto us because it is far greater, God says, far more magnificent than what we thought by our own limited sight. What God does for us while we wait is just as important as what we're expecting on the other side. It's a deep treasure from God. In Second King, or First Kings, Elijah uh, acknowledges that the brook dries up, and Elijah stands. Again, he's waiting. God, what do you want me to do? And if we fail to discern the walls of God, we will not recognize the doors that he places in front of us. And if there's a wall that in your waiting period, it's not an opportunity to jump out prematurely or to jump forward, God is still holding in that holding pattern. Because again, there's something that he's preparing on the other side. And when he opens that door, you're going to be successful and released to that next place or that next season. In verse 8, the word of the Lord finally came back to, to Elijah. And he said, Arise, and I want you to go to Zarephath. And this was not a place that I believe that Elijah would willingly go. It was into the, into the, uh, the, the city of Jezebel. And Elijah was uh, called by God to go to Zarephath, that belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. And he says, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. All this time, all this season of hardness, having to eat decayed flesh, having to have dried bread dropped at his feet, drinking from a brook, and then eventually the brook drying up, the, the ravens stop uh, feeding him, waiting and standing. Is this the day? Is this the moment? Is this the appointed time? Waiting diligently to listen, to hear when God would speak. All this time, God was preparing his exit and his, his provision on the other side. Sometimes I think about Elijah and when I read in, in 1 Kings chapter 17 where he brazenly goes up to the widow woman. Now, I don't think she was actually looking for God at that time. She was a heathen. She was not actively listening into God. She was just trying to survive. She was just trying to eat her last meal and then she knew that she was going to die. She was collecting what little firewood was left in that area. She was putting all her meal together. And in her mind, she was going to die. And yet God had somehow prepared her to be willing at the command of the prophet to release a, a portion of food to her. Sometimes I've thought about Elisha and I thought, how, how ostentatious are you? How are you, Elijah, to go and you see this frail woman that is probably emancipated. She hadn't eaten. This was her last meal. She's looking up and imploring you. I'm, I know I'm going to die. Just let me die in peace with my son. And yet you're asking me for a piece of bread, a piece of meal first? Yet if we understand the process of waiting well, 
we will understand why Elijah had the courage and the boldness to go and ask for that meal from her. Because what he learned in the place of waiting, he learned the faithfulness of God, that God would feed him in the morning, God would feed him in the evening, God would make provision and take care of him. So that he knew that when he went to this widow woman, he could say, my God will sustain you. You'll never run out of meal. You'll never run out of, of, of substance because I know the God of weight. You cannot give what you don't possess. And in this waiting period, it's a moment of time where God builds within you an anointing, an understanding, a strength that you obtain so that you can bring deliverance to someone else. That's the power of the wait. There are things internally that God is building within you because God needs it on the other side for someone else. So in the wait, if we have the mindset of the Father, we can endure that waiting. We can lean into him and say, what are you teaching me in this moment? What do I need to learn? What do I need to apply to my life? What is it that I need to know of you and have you in me so that when I go across to the other side, I'm successful and I can impart it to someone else. That's waiting well. That's one of the principles of the art of waiting. Elijah's lesson while standing in wait, the very thing that Elijah had to trust and depend on God for food and water, was the very thing he could release to others. Waiting builds strength. And we have to have that mindset that we're in the wait. It's not, you know, passive. It's not something that, that is inactive. It's really an active force, a fire, a, 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 a dunamis that God is building within us. And it's a force that we have to obtain to be able to stand. I can imagine Elijah, as we look at others in, the, in a few minutes, they had to have such strength, such tenacity, such persistence that they would not go ahead, but they had strength to stand. And by waiting, we position ourselves to break barriers to move forward. That's part of the art of waiting. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit may uh, not the fruit on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fall, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet we read this scripture. It's dire. It's, it, it's desolate. There's no oil. There's no olive trees. Nothing's blooming. This is winter in its worst condition. And yet Habakkuk says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. For he has made my feet like deer's feet 
He will make me to walk on my high hills. Hills. Not hills. Hills. <laughs> We've got to understand what God is doing in the season of wait. One of the, one of the essence and the, and the tools that we obtain is strength to stand. And not just to stand, but to obtain feet like a deer. So that in the midst of, of all of these situations, he's developing our hind feet. In the places of the greatest difficulty, in the places where there's no apparent fruit, in the places where you're feeling isolated and so alone, in the places where, where these things are, are, are happening and you may not be hearing the voice of God clearly. You've got to understand that God is doing something and you may not recognize it. He's developing deer's feet so that you have strength to stand because he has seen ahead and he knows what is on the other side. Deer feet, and I want to remind you, the deer that is mentioned in the Old Testament is not Bambi. It's not the deer that we hunt. These are muscular ram-type um, animals that are able to go to the very tops of cliffs. And when there is no apparent place for them to hold on to a small patch, that one hind corner can hold on to that because of the strength that has been built in their hind quarters. And this is something that God is saying, you will make my feet like deer feet. Deer feet are uniquely created to stand on cliffs that no other animal can stand and survive. They thrive in rocky territory or terrain, and they're able to grip, grip the sides of a mountain where there is little ground to stand on. And it doesn't take much, a small patch, is all that that deer needs to be able to stand until he finds or he sees the next place for the next hoof to, to dig into. A hind's feet development, strength to stand. And God says, that's what I'm doing in those desolate periods, in the timing of wait, in the season of waiting. I'm building your legs to be strong, to stand, and to stand firmly. In this process, these deer have a fierce determination to stand and hold ground. And this is one of the outcomes of the season of waiting. You're able to stand and therefore stand again and stand strong. Another individual, can you go, thank you. Another individual in the Old Testament had a, another um, opportunity to learn to stand. And this one is, is a dire in his situation, but he had learned the art of waiting well. So they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the dungeon of, just a minute, I have to, Malachiah, 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 sorry. I need David here. He's our, our, our expert, sorry. So they took Jeremiah and they put him in the dungeon of the king's son, and which was in the court of prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank into the bottom of the mire. 
So this story is about King Zedekiah that called for the prophets to ask him a word. They were surrounded by their enemies, and he wanted a word. What were they to do? And the word that Jeremiah spoke to them, the king resisted and commanded the, the Lord, uh, uh, commanded the, the, the king commanded his servants to go and send Jeremiah and put him in prison. And then the religious leaders who were so incensed by the word that Jeremiah uh, had given, they took him out of the court of prison and put him into this cistern where there was no water but mire. Now, I want you to understand what Jeremiah was in. The Bible is very uh, PC in, in letting us know, but this was a sewer well. This is where the feces of the animals, the feces of the individuals were all dropped into this well, and this is where they put Jeremiah to live out the remaining of his days for the word that he had given. And so here he is in the midst of this uh, uh, putrid place, in the midst of this place where he didn't ask to be placed, in the midst because he was simply obedient to God, in the midst of this sewer of muck, he was there waiting for the next word from God. And Jeremiah sank. But I believe that he had to stand on a small ledge so that he would not drop completely and be covered by this sewage that he was surrounded by. First Peter tells us in chapter uh, 1, verses 6 and 7, In this greatly rejoice, for though a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise, the honor, and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have to remind ourselves that in our trials, they're not about getting us or, or expecting us to sin. They're not trials are not purposed for us to fail, but trials are there that they might strengthen us in our relationship and our seeking with God. God desires that none of his children, none of the inhabitants, would fail in any way. But when we find ourselves in the muck of life, in the sewage of this life, God says, if you cry out to me, I will bring you relief and deliverance. When you're standing in the muck of life, what are you standing on? Jeremiah had simply probably a small edge that was sticking out of this sewer that he was trying to hold on to. Otherwise, he would sink and drown in all of the sewage, the, dec uh, the um, excrement of, of the city. I know, I, I can't say those other words. He had to stand and stand there for I believe that he had learned to wait well because he certainly had a strength to stand and to cry out to God. And I want to ask you, when you are in the muck of your life, have you developed strength in your hind legs? Have you been developed a deer feet to stand? And one of the great things that we can do when we go through situations is to keep a record of the faithfulness of God so that we can remind ourselves we have a point of reference. 
It was there in 1998 that you brought me through. It was there that I learned to trust you for my marriage. It was there that I learned to trust you over addiction. It was there that I learned to trust you, that you set me free from alcoholism or for uh, depression or whatever circumstance that you might be uh, going through. So that when we're in the muck of life currently, we can look back and say, God brought me through and I'm stronger today than I was when I faced it. And I'll be stronger tomorrow because I've got dear feet and I can stand until God sets me free. Jesus is there for us. There was a servant that was uh, around King Zedekiah and now he didn't have the he wasn't anyone of noble birth. He was called the servant of God, Ebed-Melech. And so he was just a slave that was attending to the king. But he had heart of compassion because he recognized that if they didn't do something, Jeremiah would die in that stench. He didn't have any religious credentials. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He didn't have any political influence. He didn't know how to call up his his assemblyman, to get uh, relief. He only had the ear of the king. Ibn Malek means servant of the king. And you and I have, are, have the ear of the king of kings and the lord of lords. And when we see a brother or a sister, a relative, a friend, an enemy, and facing the muck of their lives, God wants to raise us up to have the heart of Ebed-Melech so that we would implore the King of Kings, Use me, Lord. Use my prayer, Lord. Let me pray a prayer so that my friend, my enemy, my relative might be delivered from this time and season of his life so that he can be rescued to the other side. That's another thing that God puts in our heart in that season of waiting. He wants us to have a helping hand. Peter understood this. It's a principle not only in the Old, but in the New Testament. Peter remembers this helping hand. Go back. Jesus, Matthew 11, Matthew 14, thank you. Jesus comes walking on the water towards his disciples. They're in the boat, and Jesus is walking on the impossible. He's walking on the water. And as he's standing, there's no ground. It's water. Miracle. Peter asks, is this really you, Lord? If it is, will you bid me to come? And we know that the Lord invites Peter to come. And Peter now stands on the impossible because the Lord said, come. Well, you know the story. Sorry. You know the story. Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, and then he begins to fall into the waters. And Jesus holds out his hand to help Peter, and he raises him up from the waters that he had fallen into, and he lifts him up. Jesus extended his hand of deliverance, just like Ebed and Malek did for uh, Jeremiah, Jesus did that for Peter. 
Well, I believe, as we look, look later into the life of Peter, Peter never forgot that moment. He probably never forgot that he was standing on the impossible, that God at that moment had left an imprint, carved something in his heart, that he recognized the faithfulness of God, that he understood that God was with him, that God would not let him fall or fail, that God would deliver him in his time of need. There was something in that time that, that had been etched into the heart of Peter. So that Peter in Acts chapter 3, when he's walking to the temple to pray, he notices this lame man begging. And this particular day, Peter takes him by the hand. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, let me give it to you. And he takes him by the hand and lifts him up. Strength comes into that man's legs. And he leaps and shouts and is in joyful glee of what God has done. Peter knew he had a helping hand. Jesus picked him up from the Sea of Galilee. Now Peter could do the same for someone else. When we have those moments of waiting, God is building in something in us, an anointing. He's building in something that we can give away to others. And if we wait well, that anointing will be there. Peter waited well for God so that when he saw that man that needed help, he could lift out his hand and say, be lifted up in Jesus' name. And that's what God wants to do into you and I, a helping hand. God's intention is not always about the destination. His intention is that we walk with him through the journey. He's all about the impartation that we receive. And if we place an emphasis on the strenuous, strenuous journey that we're facing, we'll miss out on the impartation he's doing within us. The art of waiting, the art of waiting well, is what God wants to release to us today in Jesus' name. May I pray for you? Please stand. Father, I lift up my garden family and visitors, those that may be listening online. Father, I thank you that you are with them and for them. And many, Father, I recognize are in this season of waiting, where they're waiting for the instruction for the next step. They're waiting, Father God, and have grown weary in this moment. Father, strengthen them in their inner man. Strengthen them with understanding that it's just not simple abiding time, but it's an opportunity to develop strength to stand because there is someone else on the other side of their miracle that needs what they will possess, that needs what they will embrace, that needs that anointing and impartation that they receive in this season of, more, of, of waiting. Father, bless them in the name of Jesus. Father, may your peace be upon them. If they're like Elijah, that they're in difficult, or Jeremiah in the muck of life, if they need someone to raise them up, Father, I pray that your ear will hear our prayers. And today, Father God, that you will reach out and you will bring relief 
that you will reach out and you will bring individuals that will come and aid and assist them so that they stand upright and that we all collectively as the body of Christ are strong and that we're able to move forward quickly because you have promised us that feet like a deer, you have promised us that we will run and we will not be weary. Father, I bless this congregation in Jesus' name. Now, before we're dismissed, I just want to say, if there's anyone here that does not, has, has maybe in that situation, maybe has never known the closeness of the love of Jesus Christ, just like Jesus reached out to Peter when he was in the, the middle of the toss, being tossed about by the seas, just like Peter reached out to the lame man, so we want you to understand if you reach out your hand, Jesus is here right now and is able and willing to pick you up from maybe the mess that you might be in. It simply takes admitting that you're in a mess, admitting the situation that you may or may not have caused, admitting that your heart has grown, uh, uh, been uh, far away from God. He's here right now to lift you up, and it's simply admitting. And then secondly, believing that he is here. We can testify to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Commit your life to be dedicated to him. We are a body here that like Ebed, Malek, we will stand with you. We will pray with you. We will not let you falter in any way but the body will stand together so that we will hold you up in your time of need. If you pray that prayer and ask Jesus into your heart and, and ask him to give you that helping hand, will you let somebody know, perhaps someone in your household, someone that you might have come, came with, we want to stand and pray with you. So we bless you in Jesus' name.